Well, what time is it? You know it's Maritime. Welcome to our podcast where we talk about all things Maritime. You know, the Maritime industry is a major driving force in the global economy, and it affects all of us where we live. Our goal with this podcast is to raise awareness about the extraordinary people and amazing companies in this industry. Our guest on today's podcast is Rob Rich, Vice President of Marine Services at the Shaver Transportation Company. Shaver celebrated its 140th anniversary just a couple of years ago and is a sixth generation family owned tug and barge line serving the Columbia Snake River system. It is in fact the oldest continuously operating tug and barge line on the West Coast. I'm Colin Folon, I'm a maritime lawyer at Schwabi Williamson and Wyatt, and I'm thrilled to be talking with Rob Rich. Rob started working on the Columbia Snake River system in 1979 when he was a deckhand with Napton Towing. He joined Shaver Transportation in 1986, where he initially served as a dispatcher and dispatch manager. In 2006, he was promoted to Director of Administration. Now, he serves as Shaver's Vice President of Marine Services. Rob is a leader in the Pacific Northwest Maritime Community, serving as Vice Chair of the Columbia River Steamship Operators Association, as well as serving on the Board of Trustees for the Oregon Maritime Museum. Rob is the past president of both the Columbia River Towboat Association and the Pacific Northwest Waterways Association, and he remains an active member of the PNWA board. Wow, well, Rob, you're certainly no stranger to the Columbia Snake River system or the importance of maritime commerce to our region. Welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Well, Colin, thank you. What a, what a great opportunity to, to kind of showcase what we do here in the Pacific Northwest, particularly the maritime industry, and and uh, I'm looking forward to today. Let's see what you've got going. Well, all right. Maybe you could start things off for us by telling our listeners a little bit about Shaver Transportation, this family company that was founded in 1880 and is still going strong. Yeah, it's uh, to a certain degree, I, I feel that it, in, in today's world, it seems like an anomaly to have a family-owned company mm-hmm. uh, that is still not, not only vital, but uh, the actual family members working it, our, our sixth generation, our uh, president's uh, two of his daughters are, are working in our company now. And, and uh, so to just see this keep moving forward is, uh, is, is just incredible to see. But interestingly, uh, I'm surprised how many towboat operators there are in the country that are still family-owned in the three, four, and sometimes five-generation range. So it isn't it isn't uncommon in our industry, but um, boy, in, in today's world, it sure is. Chaver um, has uh, three business lines. Uh, we operate on the Columbia Snake River system exclusively here and out of our uh, Portland headquarters. So um, you know we are the we're the towboat company from here. Uh, hearkening back to a, a commercial years ago about a, an Oregon beverage. But uh, that being said, uh, we have a fleet of uh, self-unloading grain barges. Uh, there are two transporters of grain on the, the Columbia Snake River system, and we handle about uh, 40% of all barged wheat on the, uh, on the system that uh, brings it to market for uh, world export. Uh, we also handle about two-thirds of all the ship assist work on the Columbia River uh, serving the ports of Astoria, Kalama, uh, Longview, uh, Vancouver, and Portland. So a pretty busy, uh, pretty busy company in that respect. And we also have, uh, like many companies, we have our general marine business, which is anything that isn't ship docking or uh, grain barging. So, uh, you know, just standard harbor services. So an, an old line company that's gotten very modern in the last, uh, in the last few decades here on the Columbia River. 
Wow. Well, I mean, from your perspective, having been at the company for so long, Rob, how would you say Shaver has been able to not only maintain its longevity, uh, but thrive over, over so many decades in what's been a dynamic industry? Well, there's, there's a variety of, of uh, factors that go into that. Uh, part of it being, being family-owned, the, the, uh, the chain of command, per se, is basically two links and occasionally three. I mean, if you're the newest deckhand or if you're the, uh, uh, the newest person in our shop, uh, there's only a, a person or two above you before you get to the president. So you have access to all of your employees. So mm-hmm. you, you wonder, where is he going with this? When the employees feel that not only are they a part of the company, but that they have access to the top at any time, their input makes a difference. That's number one. Number two is being being a family-owned company and being focused just on the Columbia Snake River system, our decision-making speed is very, very rapid. I'm not taking anything away from companies that aren't structured like Shaver, but in a family-owned company, if you move ahead with a process, a condition, or a, a, a piece of business that just doesn't look like it's working, you can pivot quickly and move away from that. And conversely, if you see something that looks really good for the, the company or the industry, we can pivot rapidly without having to go through a lengthy uh, lengthy period of time there. So uh, a lot to say that uh, we're very nimble, we move quickly, and we can stay ahead of of. Uh, of adversity, as well as take advantage of uh, positivity uh, in very short order. Well, that's that's interesting to hear. And I would imagine, back to your first point of having a, that uh, connection, that ability to, to uh, speak with management so easily, I would imagine that, that uh, employees at Shaver would have a a pretty strong sense of investment in the personal investment in the company. You know, when you feel like you're being, you, you're heard by management, uh, that goes a long way, wouldn't you say? I, it definitely does. And just just having the the knowledge of access uh, in today's world, so many people have so much to give to their employer, but oftentimes feel that they just don't have or don't feel that they have the opportunity to to get that uh, get that booted up the chain per se. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, it's interesting. Just just yesterday, I was finishing up my day in, in our dispatch office and Steve Shaver, our president was sitting in the dispatch office. Well, that's normal. He used to be a tug captain. Well, actually still is. He used to be a dispatcher. So he's just sitting in dispatch and a brand new captain hired two days ago. Of course, I've never met Steve. He comes walking in and uh, we introduce ourselves and, and have about a 20 minute chat with this guy. He was, he was amazed that being at the company for two or three days, He's having a face-to-face with the owner, and they're talking about tugboat captain-related issues. So it's it was just a really good thing to see, and also for the other employees around watching. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, you, Rob, in terms of your position as VP of Marine Services. What's your typical day like? Or, or if you don't have one, how would you describe to folks who don't know what you do, what well, you help- do? Well, it's uh, like a like a lot of companies where uh, where the the job has been so evolutional. Uh, I didn't take somebody else's job. So uh, when I'm asked, you know, what do you do? Uh, frequently, I say I'm the fireman. Uh, although I have some specific responsibilities within the company, uh, frequently uh, when either something goes wrong or something needs attention or who is it that's going to take care of that, uh, frequently I find myself in that position with the. Uh, uh, the time of service I've had in the industry, as well as at the company, it kind of makes it a natural for that. So it, uh, 
I can be working on insurance claim related issues. I can be uh, working with new employee uh, reviews. I can be working on a new a new dock project in the Portland Harbor to have a new type of commodity come to the uh, come to the Columbia River system. Uh, I can be working with uh, the Inland Waterway Users Board, uh, Columbia River Towboat Association. So it's just one of those things where throughout the day things just keep coming your way, and uh, it, it's kind of hard to put an exact finger on what I'm going to do each day. But let me tell you, the day goes by fast. <laughs> well, that's a nice thing. Uh, you know, it, it it seems as though Shaver has seemed to focus on markets in which they're located as opposed to expanding into other regions. Why would you say that is? Well, uh, at, at one time, the company did do a little bit of expansion. In the 70s, we had, um, we had two boats uh, in the San Francisco Harbor. Uh, there were numerous small operators uh, in San Francisco, so we took an opportunity to to uh, put a couple of boats down there. We did a little work in Puget Sound for a couple of years. And we also had uh, an, uh, a fairly busy ocean towing business uh, in the 70s and 80s and into the early 90s. Uh, we had as many as four boats at one time uh, operating in, in coastwise towage uh, from Southeast Alaska to Northern Mexico. And over time, we found that the work that we were the most successful in and, and the, the, the best suited to handle was the work that was here, uh, the ship docking and grain barging. And so as, as time went on, as we approached the late 80s, it became clear that we were best to be focused here on the Columbia River. At that time, there was quite a bit of consolidation of other companies, uh, whether it be customer consolidation in the grain industry or steamship agency business, um, or just uh, towboat companies in general. Uh, Shaver divested itself of its ocean towing and uh, the operation that had occurred in uh, uh, San Francisco. The mm. bro boats were brought back. And, you know, we've, we've just done like a lot of companies. That I think of GE, for instance, one of the largest companies in, in the country, mm. you know, getting back to their roots, getting back to the work that they do best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well put. Well put. Yeah, I, I inferred from what you said earlier, Rob, that um, grain operations were a significant component of Shaver's work, which I've understood to be a fairly dynamic business. How has Shaver weathered the changes in, in grain operation work over the years? Well, that, is, that has been a full-time job uh, of our president. Um, the uh, spending an enormous amount of time in the Inland Empire, I believe, is what has, has made the difference for Shaver transportation. When I say quantifying that, it's... Um, we're, we're up there in the, at the grain elevators. We're up there at the grain co-op board meetings. Uh, we're up there at uh, all manner of, uh, of grain organization functions so that we have a personal relationship with the operators in the upriver. Those are the people, the 27 elevators between the Dallas, Oregon and, uh, and Lewiston, Clarkston at the terminus of the Snake River. Uh, those, those elevators are, uh, are all fed by truck to go to barge. And the distribution of that wheat onto barges is a very relational process. And we're very well positioned in that relational process uh, to provide that service. When, when our grain customers call Shaver Transportation, the only upriver activity that we're involved with is the grain industry. We are not beholden to any other forms of, uh, of commodity transport. 
That is not an adverse for companies that are. There are numerous companies on the river that are, are widely diverse in that area. But our success has come in, in laser focusing on um, not only the upriver grain operation, but who's driving it and how it's being driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you, you know what you do well and you do that thing. You have that focus and, and that leads to success. Uh, you know, um, some of our listeners might be outside the maritime industry and are curious oh. about it. And uh, you having been a mariner yourself, a dispatcher, um, now an executive, um, all in the maritime industry, what's what's something, Rob, that you wish more people knew about working in the maritime industry that you think they might not know? Well, a couple of things in particular. Number one, uh, in, in today's world, um, I, I wish that more people were able to understand the incredible ability of inland barging and, and for that matter, coastwise barging, but barging to help the environment. And it's like, oh my goodness, how can a barge help the environment? <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, a truck moves a ton mile of uh, uh, cargo on a gallon of diesel, 151 miles. That's pretty incredible. Uh, rail, kind of the big dog in the country. Uh, wherever there's rail, 472 miles, three times uh, the efficiency and reduced carbon and uh, 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 particulate matter of, of trucks. Inland barging, 675 miles. <laughs> so if there is, is something that is just really important for people, particularly in the Northwest and throughout our nation where, there's, where there are waterways, if we want to reduce congestion mm. of our rail lines and our trucks, and by the way, barging needs rail and trucks. So this isn't, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there. But if we want to reduce emissions, reduce our dependence on fossil fuel, if we want to reduce carbon, and if we want to have the, the, the safest mode of transportation with the least amount of injuries per thousand miles, you can't beat by a long margin mm-hmm. inland barging. So I didn't know that till I got into this industry. I, I had no idea. Our industry does its job and kind of, you know, air quotes, goes to bed at night and then wakes up and does it all over again tomorrow. Although we are a 24-7 industry. Point being is this. It is an incredible value um, in today's environmentally conscious world. I think that's really important. The other thing that's really, uh, really valuable that, uh, that people probably aren't aware of is how solid these jobs are. Mm. Uh, I'd like to say I've been lucky. I know that I have. Since I came on the river in 1979, the the maritime industry is has never presented itself as being overhired. Mm. Are almost unheard of. Whether you're a boat crew, a person in the shop, whether you're in upper management, lower management, it seems like we're always just a couple of employees behind. Mm. So that security, that long-term security uh, is a high value. I realize at my point in the career, it would be easy to say, well, you started early. There are a lot of people that have had lengthy careers at one place. We have people starting today at Shaver Transportation. This very week, this young captain that came to work from us, came to work for us here uh, this week, uh, that gentleman could have another 35 years at Shaver Transportation if he chose. These are jobs that have security and you can you know, kind of bet your family on that. <laughs> Well, good information for folks who might might not have it otherwise. I guess a variation on that then, Rob, what, what would you say is, um, for those who think they know, a common myth or a misperception about the industry? 
I think a common misconception uh, is how incredibly connected the inland as well as deep draft shipping uh, component here on the Columbia Snake River system is to the entire Northwest. Hmm. One of the favorite questions that I ask people when we are at uh, community fairs uh, and that sort of thing is, uh, how are you connected to the river? Hmm. And, uh, and they'll say, oh, I'm not. And then they will come up with, uh, I'll say, well, you know, what, what do you do? And more times than not, I'll say over 80% of the time, one way or another, I can connect what they're doing in their life to something that's occurring on the river or some product that is moving offshore or coming inshore through our system. So it's so highly interdependent. Um, I think that's probably the biggest uh, myth or misconception is there's a few ships that come and go and it doesn't affect me. Well, there are nearly 1,500 ships a year that call the Columbia River system. Uh, we are the number one wheat gateway in America, number three in the world. There are bigger ports, but not when it comes to wheat. We feed the Pacific Rim. We feed a big part of the world. And that's something that's really valuable for people to understand. And it's so easy for folks uh, like myself who grew up in the region to not know it. I mean, uh, you, can, you can grow up, uh, you can live close to the river. Uh, you can see uh, tugs and barges go by, ships go by. Uh, but you, you you don't have that sense of the sheer volume of material that goes through and how it how it affects folks. That's that's a great point and some 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 good data as well. What's one say major change that you've seen in the maritime industry uh, during your career? I think the the most major change that I have seen has been the uh, I'll just call it the electronification of the industry. I do realize that all industries ha have gone to uh, paperless, wireless. But this is an old-time industry, big diesel engines, propellers, rudders, uh, ships, and the like. But um, with the advent of electronic communication where you're no longer wondering where the ship is, you're no longer wondering when the tug is going to be there, you're no longer wondering what the pilot needs, you're no longer wondering if that crew member is available, the, the advent of, of the electronic world has, has created an enormous amount of transparency in our industry. That's frequently an overused word, but it's a great, great application of it in our industry because with transparency of, of where equipment is and when it's able to be put into service, whether it's a ship or a barge or a tug, it, it has been a game changer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Um, you know, it seems as though uh, no industry escaped the pandemic, but different industries reacted differently. Um, how would you say Shaver uh, reacted to the, or responded to the pandemic and, and did it change how you did business? Well, I will tell you, um, like, like most of the, the, the companies uh, in, the, in the country, uh, that Monday, the Monday after everything shut down in America, it seemed like uh, we, we had a, an all hands board meeting uh, at Shaver, and and we felt that we were going to be at 25 to 35 percent of our staff uh, gone out sick at any time. We would not be able to provide service. Uh, we had our competitors calling us saying, "Hey, we, we're we're fearing the same thing. We have a system to help operate here. Will you help us? And you know, and can then can we help you? And so there was all of this fear, all of this concern that we would not be able to do our um, do our work. Uh, through the hard work of, uh, of many in our industry, and in particular, Columbia River Steamship Operators Association, they were able to see to it that our, our inland towing industry 
uh, and, uh, and the transport of ships uh, up and down our rivers were an essential industry. So first of all, we're able to continue working. Mm. And then by taking stringent action for social distancing, cleaning, testing, uh, we, went, we went a year and a half with just a smattering of COVID cases. Mm. And 2020 was a record setting year for volume at Shaver Transportation. We were floored. Mm. All of the employees were floored, but our entire maritime industry the, the, the whole of America in 2020 and into 2021, they were staying home. They were remodeling. They were, they were getting new furniture, new carpet. They were rebuilding uh, all sorts of things going on. The community was just incredibly busy. And actually, we didn't start seeing COVID cases till, uh, oh, goodness, uh, late last summer into the fall. And by that time, we had done enough additional hiring that we were able to, to manage it pretty well. Uh, so the actual impact, the actual effect on shaver transportation was essentially very low until we got into uh, the end of uh, the summer last year. And the cases that we had uh, were easily managed by the company because we had hired additional people. And uh, we've actually come through it very well. So we're, we're not a very good example of a company <laughs> That had to really change a lot, other than you know the the uh, uh, social distancing, the uh, uh, masking, and all of the the usual uh, things that uh, businesses were doing. Well, I'm certainly glad to hear that. It's it's nice to have the occasional positive story about uh, or positive aspect of of what happened, rather than uh, everything else. But looking to the future, though, Rob, what would you say um, is a particular uh, challenge or challenges? that uh, the industry faces, uh, specifically uh, your line of work in tug and barge uh, over, say, the next five to 10 years, and, and how might those things be addressed? Well, specifically, it is the, um, the, the graying, the aging of our, um, of our industry and recruiting, uh, recruiting of new people. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a very broad industry. There is a lot of entry-level um, work available. The entry-level work is um, very, very good paying with very good benefits, very well-paid, uh, good benefits, um, lots of security, but you're away from home. Uh, mm -hmm. You're frequently away from home for a week at a time, although you do get a week off. It's finding people that want to come to work and spend that high volume of time that's needed to perform the services. So it's actually recruiting has been the, uh, an ongoing challenge the last few years. We've actually done pretty well with it, but it takes more employees today to produce a thousand tug hours than it did 10 years ago. And uh, that trend is not turning around. Um, you know, people are, are more focused on life balance, which is a very good thing. Industries that don't choose to respond to that are going to be left holding the bag with recruiting. We've had to make some significant changes in the way we look at, at uh, how new employees uh, interact at our company, what their scheduling looks like, how flexible we are with them. Uh, it's, uh, it will continue to be a big challenge for us. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's different from any industry that uh, you and your firm represent. You know, that's, a good, that's, that's a good point you make. Um, and I, I, it kind of brings me to a question uh, another question along those lines, which is, um, you know, you alluded to the maritime industry <clears throat> with the electronification, as you said, um, changing it a lot and it being kind of an, an old business. Um, 
Uh, and in some ways, the maritime industry has been quick to respond. I think the pandemic uh, with COVID was one of them for uh, many subsectors of the industry. Um, in other ways, it's been slower to respond. But I guess one question I've got for you is what do you think the maritime industry can do to better foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? Well, that, I, that's pretty straightforward. And that is getting, getting our industry, our jobs, out into those affected communities more effectively. Uh, traditionally, this industry has had a lot of people just coming to it. It just comes to it. And so recruiting wasn't as, as structured or as difficult uh, as it is today. But with the opportunity to reach out to communities that haven't been as well represented and the focus that there is and the support from uh, governmental agencies as well as uh, regional uh, agencies as well, the opportunity is much higher. But it does get back to getting that message out mm -hmm. that we're out here and those jobs are there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you had to uh, go back in time toward the beginning of your career, what's What's one thing that you wish you had known when you started? Well, that's that is an interesting question. Um, I I think I wish I had known. Um, I wish I had known what the the extent of the opportunity in the industry was. Hmm. Uh, that might sound like an odd statement. When you came into this industry, and in fact, till just a very few years ago. Uh, when you came into the industry, you could be relatively siloed because there wasn't a real good vehicle to expand the, the industry knowledge base of employees coming into it. Whether you are a deckhand, a captain, a dispatcher, somebody in accounting, a salesperson. In the last uh, five to seven years, the uh, uh, Portland Merchants Exchange has started a program called Shipping 101, and they have now 201 and 301. And so what they're doing is they're taking people from industry, putting courses on to help introduce new people in the industry to what our entire industry does. So like I come to work at Shaver, I know a lot about tugboats. I don't know a lot about grain elevator operations per se. And I come to work at a grain elevator. I don't really know much about what the river pilots do. They're just guys and, and women that get on the ships and sail them, I guess. The point is that the Merchants Exchange has put on this program. It's been highly successful. Mm -hmm. And at first, it was for the young people in the industry. The first one I attended, and at that point, you know, I'd been, you know, 35 years in the industry. I was blown away by how much I learned. And I thought, oh, my gosh. If someone that's been in the industry as long as I have learned all of this, just attending, imagine how incredible it is for the young people. So I, I'm very, very uh, gratified that uh, at least in Portland, there's a program that exposes people in the industry to the entirety of the industry and what, what all the various pieces are. I wish I could have uh, known something like that back in the day. That, that's a great point. I, I It reminded me of a time when I went to one of the uh, merchants exchange events. And I was struck by, I guess, reminded by is better because I've, I'd seen that in other aspects of my work, but, uh, in maritime work, but I was reminded of the strong sense of community that seems to pervade the maritime industry. Um, why would you say that there is that sense, uh, of community within the maritime industry? Well, first of all, although geographically the maritime industry encompasses a giant area, census-wise, 
it's a pretty small industry. It's not, it's not minuscule. It, there, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of people, but there aren't hundreds of companies. Like, you know, here in the Columbia Snake River system, there are dozens of companies, scores of companies, but it doesn't take long before you start knowing people in that industry. And because it's a solid industry, because there, uh, there isn't a lot of moving around in it, because people really like where they're at, it seems like you, you get to know people. And so, and you learn very quickly, whether you're a very large tugboat company or a very small one, when somebody's got a problem, it's the same problem. Um, when, uh, when a port facility, be it a small port or a large port has an issue, it, it can happen at any port. So you, you end up having this camaraderie of, uh, of, oh man, you're in a bind. We're going to give you a hand because it could be us next time. And I'll tell you, that pervades the industry. Um, the, uh, I think of the, uh, the shop managers at, for instance, Tidewater Barge Lines, giving our, our shop managers at Shaver a call. Hey, do you have a part for this engine? Mm. And uh, we'll get you, we'll order you a new one, but do you have one now? And, and ourselves doing the same thing. It's kind of unheard of in other industries because the, the of course, there's, there's high competition on a, a, uh, on a marketing level. But operationally, our industry, whether it's a port facility, a terminal, uh, pilots, tugs, there's a lot of interconnectivity of, of the people. And they really just work hard to make things go right for the end of the day, because tomorrow it could be us. That, that's great to hear. I, uh, that's great to hear. You, at the top of the episode here, I mentioned that you've uh, been and remain active in Crisoa and the PWNA. Um, why have those organizations been so important to you? Well, uh, Columbia River Steamship Operators Association uh, represents all of the agents that handle all of the ships that come in and out of our harbor. And all of those ships utilize tugs. And of course, the tug companies also belong to Crisoa. So what Crisoa is, is a voice, uh, a collective voice for general issues as well as specific uh, for operations on the river, if agents are having difficulty with, with a particular dock, if pilots are having difficulty with a, uh, a particular layout in the river, they've got a place to go where they can kind of have a little bit of, uh, of, of group talk to be able to work something out. So I, I like the idea that we have an association that represents a lot of competing parties but the goal is to work together and make things work right for the whole system. I'm, I'm a very systems-oriented person. Pacific Northwest Waterways Association is the shining star of our, of our industry. They spend their time focusing on U.S. Army Corps of Engineers funding for dredging of the deep draft channel, for providing dredging services in the uh, upper Columbia Snake Rivers where needed, and in particular, for operations and maintenance funding for the navigation locks, uh, the four on the Columbia and the four on the Snake River for navigation all the way to Lewiston. So the core isn't able to uh, you know, lobby for themselves, mm. but as an association that represents ports, towboat operators, river pilots, bar pilots, labor unions, uh, terminals, uh, grain companies, um, all of these people are represented by the great work that PNWA does. So you kind of have a one-two punch. You've got you've got Crisoa representing the stuff that's going on on top of the water, and you've got PNWA that's representing all the great things that need to go on under the water. So it's that's that's uh, the the analogy that I have for those two associations and why I like being involved in them. 
Well said. Well said. Uh, as I was getting ready for your episode, Rob, I learned that um, in 2018, you actually testified in front of the U.S. House of Representatives Natural Resource Oversight Committee. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that experience. What was that like? And, and what was it uh, that you brought before them? Well, Representative Dan Newhouse uh, from uh, the Tri-Cities area, who was a strong supporter of the Columbia Snake River navigation system, and in particular, the Snake River dams, uh, held a uh, uh, held a committee meeting, not in D.C., but actually held it out in the district in the federal courthouse in, uh, uh, in Richland. And uh, he invited uh, several people from industry to come and speak about the great value of the uh, Columbia Snake River system, and in particular, the Snake River dams. Mm. And so as, as one of the, the companies that is very active in the Snake River, um, we had the opportunity to get to, uh, to talk about that. Uh, the, uh, not only the, the tonnages and volumes, you know, sometimes the numbers get lost, but it's, what his point was, was to be able to share, uh, as I was able to share, that it isn't just the barging, it's the thousands of people that are employed in the inland agricultural uh, business, the hundreds and hundreds of Washington and Oregon and Idaho farm families that are producing producing wheat and shipping it to market. It's the Les Schwab's, the Napa Auto Parts stores, all of these businesses that flourish because of this incredible uh, breadbasket of wheat production that the Inland Northwest has. And so that committee was looking into uh, the value of the Snake River dams, and it was an honor to get to speak uh, on their behalf. What a great experience. Rob, what's, I've asked you a lot of questions, but uh, one in particular I like to ask uh, my guests is, what's one question that I didn't ask you, but I really should have? Oh, why should somebody come into this industry? What would draw them to this industry? Uh, That's a great question. I wish I would have asked you that. What's the answer? <laughs> well, a, a little earlier, I had, I had, I had commented about uh, uh, recruiting and, and our schedule on the tugs and such. Um, it, um, you know, how do you, how do you get people to understand, uh, that this is an industry that you can have a long future in, that you can be a high school graduate and, um, uh, start in this industry at age 18 and you can become a Columbia river pilot at the end of your career. Now for the uh, folks that aren't familiar with that, uh, you know, tugs have deckhands and captains, and sometimes the word uh, captains are referred to as pilots, but a Columbia River pilot specifically, they're the ship drivers. So they actually get on the ships at Astoria and drive them all the way to Portland and vice versa. And that is a very, uh, very high paying, very rewarding, uh, very, uh, very complex job, but it all has to do with learning on the job. So just getting that word out, uh, how do we, the question would be, how do we get more people interested in this industry? And uh, I think the answer to that is just uh, just continuing to seek out venues that can uh, that can let us describe what we do and and how good of a career it can be for people from high school as well as college all the way up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we're <clears throat> we're certainly happy to provide a forum for that here. Um, well, Rob, I certainly appreciate you being on. Could you could you share maybe the best way? for our audience to learn more about Shaver Transportation and how they could connect with you if, if they've got additional questions or want to chat. Oh, you bet. I, I, I love talking with people and about the industry and, and uh, to help, uh, help with that sort of thing. So uh, the usual, uh, shavertransportation.com uh, 
um, go to our website. Uh, we have some uh, uh, some great uh, history there, some uh, great photo gallery that uh, gives you some background on the company. Of course, it's got some great pictures of the work that we're doing now. And uh, I'm Rob Rich. I'm listed there. Uh, my email is rdr, uh, the initials rdr at Shaver Transportation Company. And uh, always glad to hear from people in that respect. You betcha. And Shaver's got a YouTube channel too. So if any folks want to see some video that uh, describes or uh, portrays some of this, encourage them to, to search on YouTube as well. Well, Rob, thanks so much for joining us today. That's all we, the time we have for this episode. And so we'll see you next time when you know it's maritime. And I'll see you on the river. <laughs> all right. <laughs>